Chapter 10 She fell so fast no one could move. Her scream echoed off the high ceiling. She landed hard on one of the dark crushed velvet sofas beneath the balcony and didn't move. Terry and the others ran to the sofa, too scared to speak. Justine lay across the sofa, her eyes closed, her arm hooked crookedly over the sofa back. Alex reached her before anyone else. Justine, he cried. Her eyes opened and she slowly sat up. What happened? she murmured, dazed. Terry realized he'd been holding his breath. What can possibly happen next? he wondered. You fell, Alex told Justine gently. Are you all right? I think so, said Justine, but how? The banister. It just gave way, Alex said. But how could it, said Justine. It's solid. We had all the woodwork checked when we moved in here. She leaned against the cushion and gave a little gasp of pain. My wrist, she said. It may be sprained, said Alex, taking it in his hands. Do you have an elastic bandage? While Trisha and Angela went for the bandage, the other kids started to climb the stairs to inspect the place where the banister had broken. But Philip was already up there, and despite his sad clown's mask, he looked furious. All right, he said in a stronger voice than Terry had heard him use all evening. It stopped everyone cold. Which one of you kids did this? Did what? asked Murphy. The banister just... It was sawed, said Philip. He held up one end of the broken railing, and everyone could see that it had been cleanly cut through. The jocks did it, Ricky blurted out, backing down the stairs with everyone else. We heard some of their tricks were going to be dangerous. We didn't do anything, snarled Murphy. Admit it was you guys, because you can't stand to lose. Are you totally crazy, protested Les. Why would we do such a stupid thing? In fact, why would anyone? I can think of a reason, said Alex, his face grim. Oh yeah, said Les. What? To make our team look bad, he said, staring directly at Terry. Are you accusing me of something? Terry asked. If so, say so. I'm not accusing anyone of anything, said Alex. I just think it's funny that right after your team loses a treasure hunt, something bad happens. That's ridiculous, said Terry. When would we have had the time and privacy to do it? You're probably just covering up for doing it yourself. Isn't it enough that you had to cheat to win the treasure hunt? Do you want to kill someone too? Alex came down the last two stairs fast, breathing hard. If you weren't an old friend, he said, I'd... Yeah, said Terry, angry at himself for letting this dispute happen, but unable to back down. You'd what? Nothing, muttered Alex, deciding he'd be the one to let things chill out. Stop it. Can't you two stop it? Nikki was standing between them and shouting at both of them. Something terrible has happened and all you can do is fight about it. She turned to Philip. Mr. Cameron, she said, we all feel terrible about this, but I'm sure no one here could have done such a terrible thing. Someone cut the banister, said Philip downstairs now, sitting beside his niece, and nearly killed my niece. Now, Uncle Philip, Justine said placatingly, whoever it was couldn't have known I'd be the one to lean on the railing. She put an arm around her uncle's shoulders. I just feel so bad that it spoiled the party. All I ever wanted was for everyone to have a good time. Philip stood and stepped away, shaking his head. Hey, no problem. Alex was at her side on the couch and slipped his arm around her. Nothing spoiled. It's a great party. Really? Justine asked in a tiny voice. Thank you for saying so. Now everyone else crowded around Justine, telling her what a great party it was. Justine turned her smile back on in full force. Thank you all so much, she said. Maybe we just need a few minutes to catch her breath and relax, and then we'll get on with the party. After all, there are still plenty more surprises. She paused and stood up, then glanced around. I'm going upstairs for a few minutes to get myself together. I'll see you guys soon. Whatever you say, Alex said. He had rested one hand lightly on the back of her neck and was looking at her, as if no one else in the room existed. 
Justine whispered something in Alex's ear. Alex laughed and whispered something back. Then Justine headed upstairs. How can Justine be with Alex, Terry wondered. Alex was probably the one who cut the banister, or at least he knew who did. Those two were headed for nothing but trouble, Nicky suddenly said. He saw that she, too, was watching Alex and Justine. I know what you mean, he agreed. Someone ought to warn her. Warn her? Nicky's eyes flashed. Someone ought to warn him. You may think I'm wrong, but I just don't trust her. You just have some kind of silly hunch, that's all, Terry said, surprised at how much he felt like defending Justine. You know what, Nicky? You're acting like you're... He stopped himself before he said something he'd regret. I'm acting like I'm what? Nikki put a hand on Terry's cheek and pulled his face toward her. Her eyes were blazing with anger and something else. Like you're, well, jealous, Terry let it out. Now that Alex is paying more attention to Justine than you, you seem to think Justine is the Wicked Witch of the West. For a moment, Nikki didn't answer. Her face had gotten very pale. Is that what you really think? She said at last. Look, I know you don't really care about Alex, said Terry, but how come you're so down on Justine all of a sudden? In the first place, I do care about Alex, Nikki said, as a friend, and I don't want to see him get hurt. In the second place, there's something about Justine that just isn't right, and if she didn't have you on her string, you'd see it yourself. Some very strange things have been happening. Oh, right, said Terry stung, and I suppose you think Justine cut through the banister herself. I didn't say that, said Nikki. I don't know who cut through it. But that doesn't change the fact that Justine is playing some kind of game with all of us, and especially Alex. So now you're going to protect Alex. Terry couldn't help saying it, even though he knew it would make things worse. What I'm going to do, said Nikki, her voice cold with anger, is find out what's going on while there's still time. She turned abruptly and walked away. Terry watched her go. Justine had a widescreen TV set up and Bride of Frankenstein was on. Terry had never seen it, so he watched for a while. He was actually getting caught up in it when he heard a deafening thunderclap rattle the house. A moment later, the scream went black and all of the lights went out. Chapter 11 A few kids gasped. Terry heard nervous laughter. The glow from the fireplace provided the only light. The flickering flames sent eerie shadows playing across the walls. Justine's voice cut through the darkness. You probably wonder if this is another one of my surprises, she said with a little laugh. But this surprise thunderstorm was provided by Mother Nature, and the dark is just perfect for the next game, if you're brave enough to play. Let's party, yelled Ricky. Sit down, sure, someone yelled. Terry squinted at his watch in the firelight and saw that it read three o'clock. There had been so much excitement, the time had gone quickly. He was surprised to realize that in just a few hours, the party would be over. He tried to see where Nikki was. He knew she was somewhere in the shadows, but decided not to push it. She'd come back when she got over being mad. Justine had begun to describe the new game, which she called Truth. The idea is that you tell everyone the worst thing you've ever done, she explained. Then everyone votes on whether you told the truth or not. If they think you were lying, you have to pay a penalty. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, protested Murphy. Do you mean you're afraid to tell the truth in front of your friends? Justine said. No way, I just think it's kind of dumb, he said backing down. But I'm not afraid. Good, said Justine before he could go on. You see, the whole point of the game is for us to really get to know each other. Now, who would like to go first? No one volunteered. Finally, Justine turned her smile on Ricky. Ricky, what about you? She said. Tell us what's the worst thing you've ever done. Ricky stood in front of the fireplace, obviously nervous and embarrassed. I can't really talk about it, Ricky said uncomfortably. Hey, sure, that's not like you, someone yelled. 
Since when won't you talk about yourself? Everyone laughed. Everyone but Ricky. Something really bad happened once, Ricky said, muttering to the floor. On Fear Island, during an overnight with some kids, we thought someone was dead, and he stopped. I really can't talk about it. Heavy, someone shouted. Someone else booed, unhappy that he wasn't going to hear the whole story. You have to be penalized for not telling the story, Justine said. Your penalty is to stand on one foot until I say you can stop. On one foot, protested Ricky. I can never keep my balance. Then it's a perfect penalty, said Justine. Okay, who's next? How about Angela? The worst thing I ever did, said Angela, standing and smiling. That's easy. I stole my sister's boyfriend last summer. I called him up pretending I was her and got him to meet me. I let him know how much I liked him. I was sorry later, though, she added. He turned out to be a real dweeb. Everyone laughed and applauded. When Angela sat down, Murphy got up and started telling something about cheating on a math test so he could keep his sports eligibility. Terry thought the game was really stupid and even a little cruel. He was sure Nicky hated it, too. Maybe the two of them could go off together and just talk. He looked around, trying to spot her, and suddenly realized she wasn't anywhere in the living room. Puzzled, he got up and checked the hall and kitchen, but there was no sign of Nikki. With a sinking feeling, he remembered that she had said she was going to find out what was going on. When he returned to the living room, Ricky was still standing on one foot. Can I stop now? He begged Justine. If you're willing to tell us the truth about the worst thing you've ever done, she said. But I told the truth. It's just other kids were involved. It wouldn't be right for me to tell the story. And believe me, it's a real downer. It would bring everyone down. He looked very uncomfortable, and Terry felt sorry for him. Oh, all right, sit down, said Justine. Her fingers were intertwined with Alex's, and she leaned her head against his chest for a moment. Who's next, she said. How about you, said Ricky. Oh, no, Justine replied with her mischievous smile. I'm the hostess, so I get to go last. How about Terry, she said, spotting him. Uh, not right now, said Terry. I'm looking for Nikki. Has anyone seen her? Not lately, said Tricia, but it's so dark in here. Maybe she's hiding, said Murphy. Come to think of it, said Alex. I haven't seen Les for a while either. Maybe she decided to switch whims. Or maybe you know where she is, said Terry. Give me a break, said Alex. If you can't keep track of your own girlfriend, it's not my fault. Terry had an angry reply ready, but before he could say anything, Justine stood up. Will you two stop arguing, she said. You're spoiling the game. Alex continued to glare at Terry. Terry glared back, then shrugged. I'm going to find Nikki, he announced, and no one in particular. He took a flashlight from the mantle and began to climb the stairs. It was still raining hard, but he could hear Alex and Murphy laughing in the living room. Looks like Terry's going on his own treasure hunt, said Murphy. Maybe he just can't face the truth, added Alex. One by one, Terry examined the rooms on the second floor. By the time he got into the last one, Justine's bedroom, he was beginning to feel a little nervous. Had he somehow missed Nikki? Could she have, somehow, decided to go home? He stood in the hall a moment, shining the flashlight his full length. At the far end, rain splattered against the window, causing the glass to rattle and shake. Outside, flashes of lightning illuminated the whipping trees. For a moment, he thought he heard the roar of motorcycles and froze, but then realized it was just thunder. Nikki wouldn't have gone home in such a storm, he realized. So she had to be somewhere in the house. His eyes fell on the stairs to the attic, and reluctantly, remembering what had happened the last time he went up there, he climbed the narrow staircase. He shone the flashlight around the dusty room, illuminating piles of boxes. The lightning made their shadows seem to dance and jump, and the wind caused the whole room to creak as if it were alive. In spite of himself, 
Terry felt cold dread move through his body. Stop it, Terry, he told himself. You're letting your imagination play tricks because of what you found up here last time. This house is not haunted and there's nothing to be afraid of. Maybe Nicky is even back downstairs by now, he thought. He turned to leave, but then his eye fell on the closed closet door where he'd found the silver prince. No. There's no reason for Nicky to be in there, he thought. The feeling of dread became stronger. This is ridiculous, he told himself. It's just a closet. He reached out and slowly pulled the door open, and froze in shock. There, crumpled in a half-sitting position, was a body. It had the handle of a large carving knife sticking out of its chest. But this was no dummy, as the Silver Prince had been. In the flashlight's beam, there is no mistaking the staring, lifeless blue eyes behind the thick, black-rimmed glasses. It was Les Whittle. Chapter 12 Very funny, Les, Terry said out loud, hoping he was wrong. He reached out and touched him. Les felt warm. All right, Les, he said. Cut it out. It's me, Terry. We're on the same team here, remember? Les didn't answer. He lay there, staring, not blinking, his eyes like marbles. A pulse, Terry said. Where is your pulse, Les? He felt Les's wrist, then at the base of his throat. There was no movement. He put his fingers in front of Les's mouth, but there was no breath. Now Terry stared hard at Les's chest, trying not to think about the knife handle that protruded from it. No movement, none at all. No, Terry said to himself. No, 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 no. This can't be real. It's another joke, another surprise. It's got to be. Don't be dead, Les, he said. Please don't be dead. But Les didn't answer. His unblinking eyes continued to stare out of his pale, pale face, like the eyes of a department store mannequin. Scarcely able to stand, Terry backed out of the closet. His heart was beating so hard he could hear its pounding in his ears. Shaking, he made his way back downstairs. His legs felt weak and rubbery as if he were trying to walk underwater, or in a dream. Please let it be a dream, he thought. He had nearly reached the living room when a light shone on his face. It was David, just coming out of the bathroom. Hey, Terry, David said with surprise. What happened to you? You look like you've seen a... Les is dead, Terry said dully. What? It's true. I just found him, in the closet, upstairs. Hey, you're serious, aren't you, said David. Terry couldn't think of an answer, but then David's eyes narrowed in suspicion. Hey, wait a minute, he said. You're trying to get back at me for the Silver Prince trick, aren't you? Les is dead, Terry repeated. He has a knife in his chest. And you're going to show it to me, right, said David, and then Les will jump up and yell, gotcha. He's never going to yell anything again, Terry said. He could feel himself starting to come out of the shock. I don't care if you believe me. I've got the phone for help. Wait a minute, said David. Let's go back upstairs. Maybe what you saw was another trick. No, said Terry. You sure, said David. Remember how Alex looked? You were sure that was real, too. I don't think it's a trick, said Terry but he felt a little flicker of hope for the first time. He went back up the stairs with David. As they started the last flight to the attic, Terry forced himself to be calm. I don't want to see Les's body again, he thought, but maybe David's right. Maybe I saw something and just thought it was Les. His hand was still shaking as he reached out to open the closet door. The closet was empty. I knew it, said David. This was just a trick to get me up here, right? What's next, a pie in the face? Terry just stared at the empty closet, relief flooding through him like a dam breaking. It hadn't been real. Maybe he was going crazy, but having hallucinations was better than Les being dead. Terry? Now David sounded concerned. You all right? He was here, Terry said. Exactly the way I described it. I guess it must have somehow been... He stopped talking as his flashlight beam picked up something at the bottom of the closet. What is that? asked David, and then he saw it too a thick, dark puddle on the closet floor. 
Trembling, Terry reached down to touch it. His hand came away wet and sticky and red. There's more, David said. Now his voice was shaking too. Leading from the closet were drops and smears of blood. Without a word, the boys followed the trail around the piles of boxes in the attic, followed it to a window in the back. The window was open and rain slanted in, soaking the worn floorboards. A single smear of blood streaked the wall below the windowsill. Terry didn't believe his heart could pound so loud and so fast. What had happened to Les's body? Had he, it, gotten up from a closet and escaped through the window? Had Les somehow joined the undead in the Fear Street woods? I'm going to look outside, David said. He sounded even more frightened than Terry felt. Slowly, David pushed the window the rest of the way open and stuck his head out into the rain. Terry crowded next to him. They spotted it at the same time. There, directly below them, on the peaked roof of a second-story dormer, lay Les's crumpled body, the knife glinting in the lightning. Chapter 13 We've got to get to him, David said. Terry couldn't think why, but he was glad to have something to do. One of us will have to go down there, said David. He found a piece of rope on the floor and began unwinding it. I'll go, said Terry without thinking. He climbed onto the slippery windowsill, then dropped onto the shingles of the dormer below. The wind stung his face, and the rain was blowing so hard he could scarcely see. He slipped and nearly fell, but caught the edge of the roof and studied himself. Hold on, Les, he said. I'm coming. David dropped the rope from the window. Terry caught the free end, then began to inch toward where Les lay. The knife still stuck out from his chest, like some sort of strange growth, and for the first time Terry realized not only that Les was dead, but that someone had killed him, murdered him. Someone at the party was a murderer. Terry forced himself to put that thought out of his mind and concentrated on crossing the sloping shingles. One at a time, he told himself. Les's glasses had fallen off, and his skin was no longer warm, but his eyes were still open, and Terry tried not to look at them as he tied the rope around Les, above where the knife was sticking out. Then he pulled and dragged the body till it was just under the window and lifted, while David pulled on the other end of the rope. Somehow, they got the body up over the windowsill and into the room. Then Terry boosted himself up through the window. For a moment, both boys just stared at their dead friend, both breathing hard. Finally, David shut the window. We've got to cover him up with something, he said. Terry nodded. They searched in the dusty attic till they found an old blanket. They straightened Les's body, then covered him. Now that they had finished, Terry realized they had to face the next big hurdle. What to do next? We'd better call the police, he said. David nodded. Shouldn't we tell everyone what happened? Terry thought a moment. Not till we talk to the police, he said. After all, someone here is a murderer. We don't want him to get away. Let's talk to Philip at least, said David. It might be better if he makes the call. They went back to the living room as if nothing had happened. It seemed to Terry that hours had passed, but a glance at his watch told him it had only been a few minutes. The other guests were still playing truth. Alex was standing on his head in the corner of the room, and Terry guessed he was paying a penalty, but he didn't really care. All idea of funny games was gone, for good. Hi, guys, Justine said cheerily. Ready for truth? Not just yet, said Terry. I need to ask her uncle something. Do you know where he is? Isn't he in here, said Justine, or the kitchen? I haven't seen him, said Angela. Maybe he's disappeared too, said Murphy, laughing. Like Nicky and Les. Maybe there's a Bermuda Triangle somewhere right in the middle of this house. Nicky! After Terry had found Les's body, he'd forgotten all about her. She was still missing, and there was a murderer in the house. All he could think of was to run back upstairs and start searching for her again. But David clapped a hand on his shoulder. Come on, Terry, he said, sounding almost normal. Let's go see if Philip is in the kitchen. Right, Terry told himself. Call for help. That's definitely the first thing to do. He followed David into the kitchen. 
An open window was banging in the wind, and next to it hung a wall phone, slick with rain. His fingers still trembling, Terry picked up the phone and started to punch in 911, but there was no dial tone. The line's dead, he whispered, wondering what else could go wrong. Maybe the wind knocked the line loose, said David. It was strong enough to blow open that window. Let me look, said Terry. He unlocked the back door and peered out. The line comes in just above the window, he said. Maybe it... It's cut, said David. He stepped out onto the porch, pointing. There was no question. The line hung in two pieces, obviously cut through. The two boys exchanged glances. Terry wondered if he looked as scared as David did. Do you think the murderer did this? Terry asked. It was Bobby and Marty, David said. It had to be. Who else could it be? Terry thought it over. Could Marty and Bobby have killed less? They could have sneaked back in and come in the window, said David, obviously wondering the same thing. No, impossible, Terry thought. The two bikers swaggered around a lot and pretended to be hard, but they weren't murderers. Someone is, said a voice in his head. Someone is a murderer. Someone you know. Someone at this party. The only thing he knew for sure was that they had to get help as soon as possible, and that he couldn't leave the mansion until he found Nicky. We've got to find Philip, David said. Then one of us can go for help. The boys ran back into the house and through the front hall. Terry glanced out a window panel beside the front door. Across the yard, Marty's wrecked motorcycle glinted in a lightning like a warning signal of doom. A particularly bright flash lit up the front yard then, and something caught Terry's eye. Quickly, he ran out to the motorcycle, David close behind. Crumpled in the mud, just beneath the front wheel, was a blue satin jacket, Philip's clown costume. Terry examined the jacket. One whole arm was stained with blood.